Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. You know, at the birth of my ministry at Edge Church all those years ago, 24 years ago now, I remember one night I was just laying in bed thinking about church and quite frightened because it was my first job, you know, it wasn't a job, it was a calling, but they don't train you for, in Bible college for the things you're going to experience. We'd had pretty instant growth for a season and I didn't realise then, I, I, I judged everybody by what was inside of me and I thought, you know, love God, love people, keep it that simple, you know. But it wasn't long before one week I was the fourth member of the Trinity and the next week I was, you know, part of the demonic forces because I challenged someone or whatever. You think, I can't be that good and that bad all in one week, you know. Uh, that would be really smart to be able to do, be, be that sort of amazing, you know. And I was laying in bed one night, couldn't sleep, just thinking about church world and I eventually dozed off and I had a dream. And in that dream, and you've got to understand I'm Italian, uh, I saw a picture of a marble mantelpiece. It was marble. Italians love marble, you know. And so this big mantelpiece made of marble and on top of the mantelpiece was all these trophies. Just trophy after trophy after trophy. Now, one look at me, you realise I haven't won too many trophies in my life and, and I never was into sports that much and uh, I was into music and cars and clothes and, but never really got into the sports side of things because I went to a church where Christians didn't play sport, especially on Sunday. I was raised in a very traditional, quite cultish background and so I'm having this dream of trophies and I'm going, well, that ain't about me and uh, all of a sudden in, in my dream, I just got this thought one day you're going to have a church full of trophies of my grace. Trophies of my grace. They are going to be people whose lives were once so broken and yet one touch from God that can be made so whole. And you can look at those people 20 years down the track and say, wow, trophy of God's grace. Trophy of God's grace. And you know, I could sit here and talk to you about all the challenges in church life and they do come. I could sit here and tell you about all the things that happen that sometimes can break your heart and it's just people, things do happen. But I can look back over 25 years and I still see people in the street that came to Christ at a camp that I spoke at and today trophies of God's grace. And I'm so grateful that God can take our brokenness and make us into trophies of God's grace. And so the message today that I want to share with us is broken but open. You know, I grew up in a church where my dad was the pastor and it was the kind of church where you had to look right, you had to behave right, you had to obey all the rules. Uh, I was the only guy in my class that wasn't allowed to grow my hair. I just wish I had hair now, but, you know, I wasn't allowed to grow my hair because that was the Beatles and they were evil. And I grew up in this religious church where I just felt weird. I felt the odd one out at school. Everybody knew the way I dressed and the way I was that I came from some weird background. My mother, I'm an only child. My mother wanted me to look the way she wanted me to look in the eyes of a religious group. And so she would buy the clothes she'd want me to wear, but I didn't like them. The worst part was when she bought me clothes and she bought them three sizes too big because they would last two or three seasons. You imagine going to school with a raincoat where you can't see your fingers hanging out at the end? She bought me a yellow one. You imagine a raincoat 
you know, and she'd, she'd make me take it to school when it was warm weather, just in case I'd catch a cold if it rained. I found a tree near Kensington Gardens where I would hide that thing under a tree, ride my bike, take it off and pick it up on the way home because uh, I didn't want to be laughed at at school. Uh, brokenness is an interesting thing. It comes from all different backgrounds. We can all experience broken, but I was raised in an atmosphere where broken people aren't welcome in church. Broken people don't come to church because only the good people go to church. People that obey all the rules and look the right way. And yet today when you do research around Australia, Hugh Mackay, who wrote a book about Australia and its culture, in that book he talks about when people are asked to define religion, people would say pious, not interested, non-caring, uncompassionate. There was nothing positive to be said about religion by the person in the street. When they were asked to talk about very human, they would say, oh, kind, caring, compassionate. And yet in Australia for a long period of time, those words have not been attributed to the church. How sad, how sad that the very thing we're meant to be, the world doesn't know us for. And yet many of you know the story of our son, Michael, who broke about 10 years ago, uh, emotionally, mentally, in many ways. And I haven't got time to go into details, but I wanted to run and hide because our family had come under such scrutiny by the Christian church. And yet it was the non-Christians that showed my wife and I the most compassion. It was the non-Christians that showed us so much love and care because they understood brokenness where the church expected a perfection that's not there for any of us. And I realised that we needed to come to a place where in 2 Corinthians chapter 5.18 says we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. A lot of people say, oh, where's my ministry? We've all got a ministry, at least this one. And it's the ministry of reconciliation. We're called to reconcile people back to God and we're called to reconcile people to each other. Yes, there's brokenness in our world, but there's also brokenness in the church. And I believe there's a time coming very soon, it's already begun, where the church is becoming the place where if you're broken, you're safe. If you're broken, you're welcome. If you're broken, you can be here. If you're broken, we can go on a journey with you. And I want to tell you, if the church doesn't heal its own areas of brokenness, how are we going to help the world? And so even through Michael's story, I, uh, you know, I, I realised that you know, I can take the tears that I cry and I can make them a river of refreshing for others. And even now, 10 years later, pastors are sitting with me who are having challenges with their children and saying, how did you navigate that? How did you go through that storm? And we can take what the devil throws us and we can turn it around. Sitting in hospital, being told you got cancer. But let me tell you, I did not waste a moment in that hospital and then to share the good news with broken nurses, broken doctors. And it's been an amazing journey that's going on today where I've been asked by the cancer people to be a, a, a voice for hope to people in the Leukaemia Foundation. I've been asked by a doctor to go on a... Uh, yeah, come on. Thank you. You see, in my formative years, I was told, unless you do all this, you'll never be good enough. And, you know, I remember the first time I heard the message of grace, I'd started going to Clemsic Church, which became Paradise, now influences, but it was Clemsic on OG Road. And I started going out with Sharon, who uh, we were just friends at the time. And uh, I remember one afternoon, I'm at her home with her mother and the rest of the kids, and I fell asleep on the lounge. Now, apparently, I had very long eyelashes. So I don't know about that, but I don't know where they are now. But I had long eyelashes. Maybe if they got a bit longer, I could comb them back and 
do a bit of a hairpiece, you know. <laughs> but anyway, I'm laying on the, on the couch and I fell asleep. And during the afternoon, Sharon and her sister got some uh, mascara and painted my eyelashes without me knowing. What happened was that night we went to church and <laughs> Sunday night and Paul Newsham's preaching and he's preaching about Jesus uh, like someone that would be a defendant for you, that would pay the price for your brokenness and your sin. And I, I was 17. I'm hearing this thing that God loved me no matter what and He would stand in my place and cover my sin and I start bawling my eyes out. And the mascara just started running. <laughs> and so she gives me a tissue and I go like this. Now I'm black all over. <laughs> when the altar call was given, I was the first one out. I didn't care what my face looked like. I received a revelation that night that God actually liked me and that God had a plan purpose for my life. And that began a different journey for me of understanding things in a different way. And I remember when the whole story with Mike happened, you know, um, I thought, did I contribute to his brokenness? Just because I'm a pastor, I'm not perfect. I have a humanity. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, with all our spirituality, we live in a body called human, humanity. There's a humanity we've got to give allowances for in all our lives. And I'll explain it with clarity, I pray. But I went to see Dr. Ray Andrews, who at that time I didn't know who he was. Uh, actually, I took Michael to see him to get him help. And uh, Ray says to me, I want to see you. Tomorrow I want to see you for three hours. And I go, I'm going to get into trouble for all the way I've raised my kids and I'm going to cop it. And, and he sits down. I had to fill in a form. If you've been to Dr. A, you know what that's all about. And he sits me down and for the first time in my life, he showed me who I was. I was broken, but open. It's one thing to be broken and closed. And a lot of people are broken, but they're closed. But to be broken and go, okay, let's go there. Let's find out what we need to do. I don't want to stay broken for the rest of my life. I want to be a trophy of God's grace. And so I'm going to give you the positives first. These are the nice things he said about me. He said I was a feeler and I would just feel things and do them. He goes, I never stopped to think about anything because he goes, my feelings were so strong that I knew they were right. And I was a feeler doer. He said, but you have very high revelation. Now, this guy's never met me in my life before. And a little form that you fill in, but he goes, but you have very high revelation and you make yourself very transparent. Well, my wife used to say, you just tell people too much information. <laughs> and he goes, you know, I make myself very transparent and I wear my heart on my sleeve and I love people. And I go, yeah, that's good. Keep going, you know. Um, he said, you're very enthusiastic and emotional and you don't mind delegating. I used to love releasing people because I judge people by what's inside of me, just like people judge you by what's inside of them. I judge people. If I believe that we love, you tell me you love Jesus, I trust you. If you say, oh, Pastor Danny, I'm right behind you, I'm not looking for a pitchfork in my back. You know, If you say I'm right behind me, you, I, I, I believe what you're telling me. Do you know, one of the things that I've found in counselling churches all over Australia in the last period of time, since I've been out of hospital, I've been on the road every week and this thing has come up everywhere. It's come up everywhere where people will come and present themselves to a leadership team and say, these are the giftings on our life and this is what we're called to do here. And we can, you know, can, do you want to release our giftings? But then after a while, that wasn't who they really were. 
And so it's very hard to release people into their fullness if what they present themselves as is not what they really are on the inside. That's why broken and open has to be really, really important. And so, you know, I used to love delegating because you want to serve God like I serve God, go for it, you know. But then he gave me my negatives. He said, you're very impatient. You get annoyed easily and you want a quick fix all the time. You don't wait for people to catch up and you're impulsive. You leap first. Uh, you trust too quickly and you carry guilt all the time. And you know what? I saw that and it was like the woman at the well. You know, she goes back and says, I met a man who's told me everything about me. I got on the phone. I was in Coffs Harbour. I got on the phone. I rang Sharon. I said, this is what he says about me. What do you think? She goes, uh-huh. 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 You know? um, so I knew, you know, and he went on to talk about other emotional needs. But you see, growing up in a home where if I cut the lawn, I'd be told by my parents, you didn't do it properly. If I did something, oh, you know, that, that wasn't, that's not how you do it. As an only child, I was never, ever good enough. And so that whole thing of carrying guilt all the time. So I would make one person happy, I'd make someone else upset, guilt. I remember my 11-year-old daughter coming into my office one day, Danielle, and she's going, Daddy, if you were to die soon, I would know nothing about you because you never spent any time with me. She was 11 years old and I broke down and wept in my office and I got angry at God and I got angry at people because I thought the people's demands on my time. I was the guy that opened the church doors. I didn't have a PA. People wanted counselling. I remember the day when a lady rang me and she goes, if you don't come and visit my son now and he dies, his blood will be on your hands. So that's what I was told by a lady to me as a pastor. Now, a person who wants to please everybody, make everybody happy, well, I'm not cooking with gas right now. Things aren't going real great, you know. And so I felt like I pleased this mob and I make this mob unhappy. I don't, and, and, and never realised that my family had to be the most important. And, you know, right now my daughter is 36 and she, now we talk nearly every day and we hang out. She'll ring up and say, Dad, can we hang out? But I wish I'd started a lot earlier and realised that she's part of kingdom as well as all those other people that need my time. And so I realised with all my brokenness that I was open, but I was broken and I needed help. But the good news is that the church can become a place, a safe place where brokenness can be a place where healing is possible. Not only is it possible, it's positive, it's powerful, it's purposeful and it produces trophies of God's grace. And I want to say today, if I can encourage everyone in this room, because I know this is one of the churches that I love working with, because we want to create, and you already have, but we want to create an environment where you don't have to hide your brokenness. We're not going to be mad at you. We're not, but we've got brokenness. We've all got brokenness. But to have an openness with our brokenness, knowing that we go on a journey. And on that journey, we come to wholeness in Jesus. And I'm a better person, even going through my cancer journey, when uh, there were things in my life when it came to physical pain and all kinds of things like that that I've grown. You see, your endurance has to grow, it says in James. Let your endurance grow. I can handle things now I couldn't handle a year ago or two years ago. So I'm glad that I've grown and I don't groan. I don't want to groan, I want to grow. And I pray that open but open is what the church is going to be known for. You know, it's interesting for me that Jesus always hung around broken people. 
Jesus in Luke 15 verse 1, it says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that He was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. This is Jesus. We read the story of the Good Samaritan. How many of you read that story and know that story really well? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was travelling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, the worship pastor of the church, walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed on the other side. You know, friends, we've had an interesting time in church history. In the 70s, when I was growing up in church, if you did something for broken people in the community, oh, they've become Salvation Army now. They're not Pentecostal, because Pentecostals speak in tongues. Well, well, can't you do both? And heal the broken as well. And so we never ever, we, we, we preached against doing the works of helps in our community in the 70s. It all happened within the four walls of the church. Then we went to a time where like the assistant, he doesn't walk away, he goes and has a look. See, the priest just walks away. The other guy just goes and has a look. Yeah, poor man, he's not looking too good. And then he walks away. Do you know that the church has written more books on justice and reaching the poor and the broken in the last 15 years and 20 years. And we're conscious of the need. We're conscious of the broken, but we still have a look and then still get on with what we're doing. But it took a broken man to heal another broken man. The good Samaritan, a man who was despised, totally despised by the Jews. And he was hated and broken on the inside, but he could heal this broken man on the outside because broken can understand broken. And I think, wow, isn't that powerful that religion couldn't help, you know, uh, in any way. So religion couldn't help. And so uh, religion's response to brokenness was to ignore it. But then there was a broken man's response to his own brokenness. Think about that. This, This broken man responded to his own brokenness. And that really, really touched me. It showed me that a good Samaritan who'd been hated by society, who was an outcast, had character, good attitude and stayed soft. You can't go and help another broken person if you've got an up yours attitude, right? But he, he, he had character, he had good attitude and stayed soft. He made a choice to succeed in his own life. When you look at how this broken man helped the other guy, the broken man on the road, the guy had done a good job of his own life. He'd made a choice to succeed in life. He had a job, made money, had enough to share with others and used what he had to reach out to others. Here's a broken man, but open, obviously, because even though he'd been brutally treated, he's out there reaching out to someone who hated him a Jew by the side of the road that's the cause of his pain as a Samaritan and he reached out, he stayed connected to other human beings, he didn't shut down and a great response for a man who didn't have much of a reputation. See, if we're broken but open, the devil can't attack you. You say, hey, yeah, the devil says, you got an anger problem. Yeah, I had an anger problem. I've preached about it for years, major anger problem, but I don't have it now. And only occasionally, I mean... (laughs) The thing is, I realised as long as I'm in Jesus, everything's cool. The minute I step out of Jesus, the old Danny comes back. 
But the fact is, it's not a stronghold on my life. There are moments of my life. I know that anger will always be an Achilles heel in my life. There are things that I know if I let them go, they'll be an issue. But if I keep them under the blood, I keep them under Christ and I surrender, then they're not major life issues. They are moments. And when those moments happen, I know how to repent and apologise. You see, a broken man's response to another broken man, he gives him time. Can you imagine being broken yourself and you give people time? I've been at home sick as a dog and a guy with cancer comes in and sits in my lounge and pours out his life and I just want to go to bed. But there's something about spending time with another broken person in the role that you understand that now we have a friendship where I took that guy to church with me just recently and on his wife's 50th birthday, he's still got cancer. He rings me up and he goes, can you pray a prayer over my wife for a 50th? And that, they're not church going people. And so, you know, this broken man, the Good Samaritan had time. He was touched by human need. He gave of his own treasure Do you know how many churches I go to that people are angry at the church for not doing enough? And I say, but you're the church. It can't all come out of a missions department money. Every Christian should be generous. I have sat in restaurant after restaurant with Pastor Jeff Woodward in Perth where he will be moved in a restaurant. He'll see a family at a table and he thinks they might be struggling or just feels it in God and he'll go up to the counter and pay for their meal and then tell the people, don't tell them who paid for it. So when the person would go up to pay, they go, oh, somebody else paid your meal. And it was a total stranger. You know, uh, what an incredible attribute to be able to know that we have been broken ourselves, but we're open. We are people that give of our time, our touch, our treasure. This man was trained for an emergency. He was trained for uh, how many people carry all that stuff on him to wrap the guy up and wound him up and, and all that. He had all the stuff and took the man to full recovery takes him to an inn and says, whatever money you need, charge it to my account. Man, what an attitude. And I so loved it when I saw that and I thought, wow, broken people understand broken people, but we're all broken. We're all broken today. And I want to just move on just very quickly. How much longer have I got? Okay. And I want to just give you a little difference between broken humanity and carnality. Now, carnality is the protecting of your own flesh, you know, fighting for your own. It's a pride issue where I'm self-protecting. I'm, I'm looking after my flesh. That's, the Bible calls that carnality and God can't give grace to that until it's surrendered because you're actually fighting for your own rights. And so I was, when I was in hospital, I just wrote this down one day and I said, humanity is normal and it must be understood. Carnality is different. It must be dealt with in the body of Christ. Humanity surrenders to the work of sanctification, which just means God taking us on a journey of healing, a journey of restoring us. Carnality surrenders to popular opinion and what, prote- and what protects self-interest. See, I, I know people that will feel the guilt. I travel around Australia and overseas and they, they, they carry the guilt that a role they were doing didn't work out or, or, or something like that. And, and, and rather than just saying, well, maybe I'm just not ready. Maybe uh, I was too broken. I didn't realise it. Where do I need to grow? What happens is you go in to protect your position. And in protecting that position, you become full of carnality and you protect self-interest. And then you will never break through. You, you take your problem wherever you go. That problem goes with you wherever you go. Understanding our humanity propels us towards discipleship. 
That's why in Hebrews chapter 12, it says that God disciples the kids that He loves. He disciplines them. The discipline of God is never to hurt. It's only to heal. God never disciplines us because we're not good enough. Because He already sees us as good enough, but He wants our flesh to catch up with our spirit and get to that place. Excuses are our, our carnality to propel us. Sorry, what did I say here? Um, yeah, we become disciples. People that self-protect with carnality can go into an independent spirit, which can lead to rebellion. It can lead to hardening of the heart, dullness of hearing. You think you're hearing from God, but you're getting Scripture out of context when you read the Bible. It's what the devil was good at, deception and even perversion. And over 30 years, I've seen Christians 30 years down the track still dealing with the same bitterness, the same hurt, the same pain. How sad that we can't be free because we can be. We can be free if we are saying we have broken humanity and that's okay and we can fix that. But I don't want carnality. Understanding our humanity leads to growing in character. Carnality is driven to promote and express gift over character. Understanding our humanity opens the door to God's intervention. Feeding our carnality opens the door to infection. Understanding our humanity puts us in a posture of humility. Fueling our carnality leads us to pride and God resists the proud, 1 Peter 5.5. 5. Carnal Christians are disloyal to the word and leadership models that bring that Bible narrative. And so then they start to feed the flesh out of their hurt and they no longer live out of conviction, but they live out of preference. This week, I've had a, a young couple in my home trying to, you'll never know who they are. None of you would know these people. And there's been an affair that's taken place and it's really upset the whole marriage, of course, and it's pretty, pretty devastating. And every time they come to visit, I ask God for a word. And the word that he gave me last week was so powerful that we might get a miracle out of this. But I said to the guy who I've known for 25 years, I said, the difference between you and me is not that I'm, bad, I'm good and you're bad. Is The difference is that I make all my choices out of conviction. You make all your choices out of your feelings. And, you know, feelings are preferences. I prefer that. I feel this. I prefer that. Convictions are non-negotiable. The reason why I, I could have rung up this morning, and I'm just too sick, I'm going to stay in bed. But I actually felt God had put this word in my heart. I wanted to be faithful to deliver it. Right? And it's not, I'm not a big hero, you know. It's just that I live by conviction. You know, he's my Lord 24-7, even when I'm sick. I've got to go to Zurich on Tuesday. My wife's going, don't go, don't go. I said, I'll be closer to heaven if I go anywhere on the plane. So no worries, no problem. But I live by conviction and not preference. If the musers want to come, thanks. I, I, I live by conviction. And I said, if you make a decision out of this marital situation, out of conviction, this is where you'll end up. And get well, you won't have feelings for your wife for a while. She won't have feelings for you. You might get punched in the face a couple of times. She may give you a black eye. And the fact is you can take the easy way out, which five minutes after you make the decision, it'll be different to what you think. Because the person you've had a fling with hasn't washed your underpants yet. He should wash his own anyway. But, you know, um, you, you haven't had to pick up kids from school that are not yours and punching each other out in the back seat. You've just had your fling. You've just had your moment or moments but none of those decisions were made out of conviction. They were made out of feelings and preference. 
So as we draw it to hopefully the first conclusion, um, no, 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 I will. I'll, I'll, I'll be good. <laughs> Are you okay with all this? It feels better sitting down, I've got to be honest. <laughs> My greatest example in the Bible is David, because I want to give you a practic- three, three quick points that you can do. There's no point talking about it, not knowing what to do. And that here in Psalm 139, one of my greatest passages of Scripture. How does David, after committing adultery, killing the woman's husband and getting him killed at war, telling a heap of lies, ends up with a family life with his kids all over the shop and God calls him a man after God's own heart? Because of this. It's because of this. Broken but open. Psalm 139, search me, O God. Search me, O God. If there's anything in my mind, if there's anything in my manner, if there's anything in my motives that get in your way, God, go for it. How does David do that? Well, if you read the whole psalm, David knew how much God loved him because he said, if I go to the bottom of the ocean, your love will find me there. If I go to the top of the mountain... Your love will find me there. You knew me before I was born. You knew me. You knew the mistakes I would make. And I've made many of them. Search me, O God. Go for it. You can do anything you need to do in me. I am broken, but I am open. Today, All of us, I don't even have to have a show of hands. All of us have got brokenness. I got brokenness. We've all got it. But I've come to not push it away, but own it and deal with it. And so three things. Be committed to change. We can change. We don't have to be marked by something that happened. We don't have to be marked by what people say about us. The amount of people that criticise people that they haven't seen for two years. Well, what about if they've changed while you haven't seen them? You know, committed to change, number one. That's search me, oh God. Number two, confess your brokenness. Psalm 32. Go and read this. That's your homework. Read Psalm 32. You know, where he talks about his sin and he goes, when I didn't confess it, And it stayed closed in me. My bones withered away and I thought I was going to die. This is David after he sinned with Bathsheba in Psalm 32 going, hey, when I confessed it, you came. You cleansed me up. You fixed me. You helped me. And his whole body felt different. So number two, confess your brokenness. And number three, create a new beginning. Create a new beginning. I've known many different Dannys. The Danny that was insecure when he was 14 is not the Danny of 63 now and had some pain, had some sorrow. But I've never known God to ever leave His presence His peace and His purpose have never left me. I shared with the leaders here a few weeks ago that in hospital, 
when I didn't know what was going to happen, I had incredible peace. People were trying to help me in many different ways. And people here in the church, thank you so much for offering so much help. But I just felt I was locked in to peace. I was locked in to presence. Nurses would come into the room and go, there's something different in this room. Dr. Nelson, who now I realise goes to Influences Church, but I didn't know him. He walks in and I said, Dr. Nelson, you're different. You're very different. There's something about you. And he smiled. Never said anything else. I went to his clinic last week. I said, I still can't get it. There's something different about you. He goes, I know, Pastor Danny. I said, do you know me? And he goes, I've known you for many years. He never said a word. I said, that's what it is. I could tell. He said, oh, I'd like you to be a guest and come with me to a raising funds for Indian missions. He goes, I'd like you to be my guest. God's purpose to touch and reach people hasn't left me. His presence has been amazing. And his peace, overwhelming. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 